Ephesians 4, 25 to 5, verse 2. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So our passage, as we read, was from Ephesians. And in this book of Ephesians, there is no, nothing specific, no specific challenges and issues within the churches in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul didn't write this letter because there were splits and disagreements occurring in the church. But Paul knew that this letter to the church of Ephesus would still be useful and that this letter would get circulated around to other churches. Paul had a love and concern for building up the body of Christ. Now, throughout the book of Ephesians, and also actually in many of Paul's letters, but in this one we're talking about, Paul talks about oneness. And he often refers to one body, as he did in our verse 25. Or he'll use the phrase, one another, as he did in verse 32. Paul recognizes the importance of being one body. Paul recognizes the importance of community. And he's talking to the community about being healthy and spiritual and Christ-like and one community. So as Paul's talking to the community, he is talking to the body of Christ. And we're not just the body of Christ on Sunday mornings when we gather. Each of us is still the body of Christ and represents the body of Christ when we go out to our families and our friends and our places of school, our places of work, when we go out into the communities. We do not stop being the body of Christ. And so we are to be one people who are community builders and not community breakers. Chapter 5, verse 2, we're called to live in love, and by doing so, we are imitators of Jesus Christ. Again, we represent his body, not only here, but in our communities. Jesus Christ is a community builder, and we're called to imitate that and to do the same. As a community builder, we're called to behave in a certain way. As a community, we're called to experience healthy relationships. And so today we focus on healthy relationships and interaction amongst the community. As this morning we focus on verse 32 particularly. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So forgiveness in churches and its members are not without its share of unforgiveness 
I mean, let's be real, right? People let us down. There's bitterness, there's wounds, there's hurtful words, there's church splits, there's disagreements, there's lack of grace, there's certain preferences one way or another, and and I'm sure you can add more to the list. And this occurs with individuals in the churches, and this occurs even amongst churches, whether within the same denomination or even amongst different denominations. And there's hope. There's hope because there's forgiveness. And yet I think too often we fail to recognize forgiveness for what it is. So the purpose of today's message, we're going to refer to two types of forgiveness. The first one that we're going to be talking about is the most common idea of forgiveness is something that we'll call two-sided forgiveness. You can picture a, a scene in a movie where Two people are at odds with one another and they get brought back together by some unforeseen and extraordinary event having been at odds for some time. And then they apologize to one another and forgive each other. And one individual comes forward and says, I'm sorry, please forgive me. The other person accepted the apology and forgave the person who wronged them. And, of course, then during the movie, you get out the Kleenex box because it's so beautiful, and it is. You may refer to it as a Hallmark movie, even. But this process is no doubt part of forgiveness. And getting together with parties should not be discouraged from happening. People need to be brought together over time. When people are brought together, that brings in the topic of reconciliation and justice. And we're going to chat about reconciliation and justice at another time, not today so much. But the thing about two-sided forgiveness is that it teaches that people who are wronged need to wait for someone to approach them first. Too often people, that, people feel that in order to forgive, the other person needs to ask for forgiveness. You see, two-sided forgiveness is exactly what it says. It's t- it takes two. This forgiveness implies that it's conditional. Two-sided forgiveness is, if you say you are sorry, then I will forgive you. You see, again, two-sided forgiveness doesn't separate forgiveness and reconciliation. It kind of mixes the two up because the two are sort of happening at the same time. Because it's demanding reconciliation coming from the person who did wrong before forgiveness comes from us. We wait for the other person to apologize before we forgive them. But today's passage is about our mental models and our ideas and how we perceive and how we approach forgiveness. You see, forgiveness in this passage is not waiting for someone to come up to us and someone to say that they are sorry. Forgiveness in this passage is not two-sided forgiveness. Now, I'm not saying that two-sided forgiveness is wrong, but we can strive for better. The other type of forgiveness, again, it's not two-sided, and I'm not even going to call it one-sided. We're going to call it Christ-centered forgiveness. And this forgiveness is full of grace and love. 
Forgiveness in this passage comes from a Greek word, and you'll see it up on the screen. I don't use Greek too often in the messages, but this morning I think it's important. It comes from charizomai. And Paul uses this word for forgiveness very few times. He uses it a couple times in the book of Corinthians, and once here. And he uses this word often referring to Christians forgiving one another. Now, the Greek word has in this root word of forgiveness the word charis, which actually charis is translated as grace. So charizomai, or forgiveness, is extending grace to one another. Biblical forgiveness, Christ-centered forgiveness, is is extending grace to one another as Christ extended grace to us. No conditions. I think it was last week where we talked about grace and mercy and said that grace is getting something, is being given something and not deserving it. So if you're the one that's been wronged, then Christ-centered forgiveness is you forgiving a person kind of out of the blue because Christ has already forgiven you. Christ-centered forgiveness is, I forgive you because Christ has set me free. And you're able to say that without even the other person present. It's about Jesus setting us free. And it's about then imitating Christ's forgiveness that is extended to others, to us, out of nothing that we have done. And only on account of what he has done. Christ-centered forgiveness is God's grace given to you on account of you being God's beloved child, God's beloved son or daughter, and Christ having given himself up for the forgiveness of all your sins. This is forgiveness based on grace, not forgiveness based on works. Nobody first went up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm so sorry, Please forgive me in the hope of being forgiven. You were already forgiven once and for all for his act on the cross. Your forgiveness is based on that one action on the cross. So when you go up to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm sorry, please forgive me. He probably smiles at you, takes you by the hand, and Jesus says, I've already forgiven you. Jesus forgave you not because you asked for it, but because of his amazing love and grace to you. That's Christ-centered forgiveness. And that's how the body of Christ is to imitate Jesus. That's how we are to behave when we have been wronged. We're called to imitate Christ-centered forgiveness. This is where we forgive one another because of Christ's forgiveness to us. No other reason. And if by God's grace, someone comes up to us and says, I'm sorry, please forgive me, we too can say, I already have. Now, people of God, this is pretty serious stuff. Because if we cannot say that we have forgiven someone, then we are saying that we don't want our heart to be changed. We even pray this in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins 
as we have forgiven those who've sinned against us. We imitate the love and grace of our Lord and Savior as we forgive others, or as we even forgive churches. I mean, organizations, churches, institutions can be forgiven. Leaders can be forgiven for what they have done to us. Forgiveness is not only for the good of the one who wronged. Forgiveness is for the one, is, is for, the, for the good of the one wronged. But we tend to create challenges when it comes to Christ-centered forgiveness. And many of you know I'm not a country fan by any means, but there's a familiar Garth Brooks song, and it was applicable this morning, where it's called We Bury the Hatchet. And this song includes the following lyrics. We bury the hatchet, but we leave the handle sticking out. We're always digging up things. We bury the hatchet, but we leave the handle sticking out. And that happens for various reasons. One reason might be because it appears that Christ-centered forgiveness ignores reconciliation and justice if we only need to forgive, and it's only, I mean, it's not two-sided. Okay, well, justice deals with who is going to restore things for the wrong that was done. With justice, it might be us. Or it might be the other person. Scripture speaks a lot about justice. Scripture speaks a lot about reconciliation and restoration. We talked about justice last week as we referred to Micah 6 verse 8. We are called to love justice. And justice and restoration and reconciliation is a process. It is a journey that we're called to be part of. But forgiveness deals with us and our own personal relationship with people, and our personal relationship with the Lord. Forgiveness begins the process of reconciliation. And again, reconciliation is going to be a whole other sermon or two. But Christ-centered forgiveness is freedom. And God would not ask us to do this if he didn't think we could do it by his power, by his spirit, because of Jesus When Christ says it's costly to follow him, it's costly because the cost belongs to us to forgive, to forgive others. The cost is not on the other person. It's on the one who is wronged. And guess what? Grace doesn't always seem fair, does it? Forgiveness might mean that we agree to live with the consequences of another person's sin. The reality is the past can't be changed. But what can be changed is how we can respond to the past. Are you going to choose to live in bitterness? Or are you going to choose to live in freedom? And I know this can be difficult, depending on the circumstances. But it must be done. Forgiveness is not an option. That leads us to another reason that sometimes the handle sticks out. Some people would just rather choose to stay bitter. They would just rather choose to be angry. Maybe it's pride that makes people choose to be angry. Maybe not forgiving can be used as a form of revenge. It's a sad way to live one's life. And if this is a situation for you, please allow Christ to work forgiveness in your life. Another reason the handle sticks out is that forgiveness also does not necessarily mean that we forget 
Now, forgive and forget is a phrase that we often use way too much. Let's be real. It's not even true. Because we have wounds. When we forgive someone, that wound becomes healed. But the scar will likely remain. And that scar is left and is often a reminder of the wound that occurred. It's also a reminder of the act of forgiveness that has taken place. I have a scar on my leg from when I was eight years old. It was a silly accident and resulted in multiple stitches. And when I look at it, I'm reminded of that incident. I didn't forget it. I remember some of the pain. I remember a bit about the stitches. Now, if I had not immediately treated the wound, it would have likely infected, and who knows what would have happened following that. Treating the wound is necessary. The wound needs to be healed. It has taken decades. The the scar is still there, but the physical scar in my leg is, it's fading. And I can't even recall all the details of the incident. Isaiah 43, 25, God says, he will remember our sins no more. This means that God will choose to not remember them. And that's the same with us. We choose to forgive someone. We too need to actively choose not to think or talk about what someone may have done to us. Again, think and especially don't talk about it. Again, our memory cannot be erased. erased. When we forgive in Christ, after healing has taken place, we may still have that scar. Matthew 18, familiar passage where Peter asked Jesus how many times to forgive, and Jesus replied, not seven times, but 77 times. Now in this passage, it doesn't indicate that this fella who kept sinning against Peter, or, or, or rather, it doesn't indicate that this fella kept sinning against Peter, but it indicates that every time Peter may see the person, he's reminded of that sin that, that was against him, that one sin. It's our response as imitators of Christ to always be reminded that we are called to forgive. We're called to forgive that person each time we see the scar. Be reminded of the forgiveness and our forgiveness in Christ. As we're reminded to forgive, we're then reminded of Christ's forgiveness for us. Forgiving one another reminds us that Christ has forgiven us. Allow Christ and his grace to remove anything that stands in his way of forgiving, in, in our way of uh, forgiving another person. Forgiveness, charizomai, is about extending grace to one another. Undeserved merit, no conditions, and it's difficult. But we're called to imitate Jesus. And we thank God for his amazing grace to us. That he has forgiven us. And so we can forgive others. Jesus took upon himself all our sins. The grace that he extends to us meant that our wrongs were taken upon him at the cross. And forgiveness is costly, as we said. And it costs God, his one and only son. The forgiveness of sins that we have received through Jesus Christ has allowed God to reconcile his relationship with us. It's often difficult to forgive others, especially if someone has been the author of a, of a great personal tragedy. 
By God's grace, we can overcome all the anger and the wrong and not giving the devil a foothold, as Paul refers to in the beginning of this passage. We start with forgiveness. And justice and reconciliation continues in the journey, and it may look differently in each and every situation. I want to conclude with sharing about a piece of writing from uh, William Young's book called The Shack. And in this book, Missy, who is Mac's daughter, Mackenzie, Mac's daughter, gets kidnapped and killed while she's in Mac's care. And Mac encounters the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the shack. In the pages I'm about to read, Mac was in a discussion with God the Father, who in this book is called Papa. Mac needed to forgive the murderer who was still unknown. Earlier in the book, Mac wanted to damn the the murderer to hell. So here we go. Now there was no holding back as hot tears poured down his face. And between sobs, Mac began to confess. Papa, he cried, how can I ever forgive that son of a gun who killed my missy? If he were here today, I don't know what I would do. I know it isn't right, but I want to hurt him like he hurt me. If I can't get justice, I still want revenge. Papa simply let the torrent rush out of Mac, waiting for the wave to pass. Mac, for you to forgive this man is for you to release him to me and allow me to redeem him. Redeem him? Again, Mac felt the fire of anger and hurt. I don't want you to redeem him. I want you to hurt him, to punish him, to put him in hell. And his voice trailed off. Papa waited patiently for the emotions to ease. I'm stuck, Papa. I just can't forget what he did, can I? Forgiveness is not about forgetting, Mac. It's about letting go of another person's throat. But I thought you forget our sins. Mac, I'm God. I forget nothing. I know everything. So forgetting for me is a choice to limit myself, son. And Papa's voice got quiet and Mac looked up at him directly into his brown eyes. Because of Jesus, there is no, now no law demanding that I bring your sins back to mind. They're gone when it comes to you and me and they run no interference in our relationship. But this man, but he too is my son and I want to redeem him. So what then? I just forgive him? And everything is, is okay and we become buddies? Max stated softly but sarcastically. You don't have a relationship with this man. At least not yet, says Papa. Forgiveness does not establish relationship. In Jesus, I have forgiven sins against me. But only some choose relationship. Mackenzie, don't you see that forgiveness is an incredible power? A power you share with us? A power Jesus gives to all whom he indwells so that reconciliation can grow? When Jesus forgave those who nailed him to the cross, they were no longer in his debt nor mine. In my relationship with those men, I will never bring up what they did or shame them or embarrass them. I don't think I can do this, Mac answered softly. I want you to. Forgiveness is first for you, the forgiver, answered Papa, to release you from something that will eat you alive 
that will destroy your joy and your ability to love fully and openly. Forgiveness is not about waiting for the person to come to us. Forgiveness is all about imitating Jesus, who is our community builder, and he calls us to be his people who too are community builders, imitating Jesus Christ, forgiving others for the forgiveness that Christ has given to us through a once and for all act on the cross. And together we say, Amen.